You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtics Nation, Celtics Blog readers and listeners to the Celtics Blog podcast, the Banners broadcast, the official podcast of CelticsBlog.com. I'm Bobby Manning. With me today for this emergency edition of the Banners broadcast is Alex Kungu. Did you have fun tonight, Alex? We just are getting on minutes after the Celtics fell just short to the Warriors out in Golden State in a game that had one of the great point guard duels you'll ever see between Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, man. I mean, after some of the events that have happened this week in the NBA, it's really good to like see your see the best players in the league go back and forth and at it at the highest level. So I definitely enjoyed my Saturday night. Well, even a Horford, after saying, end the fighting, why can't we all get along? He went out there, and the, both teams went out there tonight and played entertaining basketball. They didn't need any of the extra side stuff tonight. So good point there in the first minute. There's a point for Alex Hungu in this episode. Uh, first, first thing I want to talk about tonight with you was none other than Kyrie Irving. And at this point, we're over 50 games into the season I've been holding out, holding out, holding out, and I'm ready to say it after tonight. After Irving led the team throughout this game offensively, completely took the offense on his back, an offense that ranked 20th, right around 20th in the NBA coming into tonight. 13 of 18, hit his first four shots, got the offense going in the early going, was hitting three-pointers, threw people right in his body at one point, almost hit this reverse backhanded, like back to the basket, reverse layup in midair that would have like blown my mind, but someone had to tackle him to stop him from doing it. And by the end of the night, the Warriors were pretty much just tackling him at midcourt to prevent him from trying to tie the game uh, from the three-point line. What more can you say, Alex? I, I, this game showed it all on Kyrie Irving. Not only his ability to come and go offensively as a scorer, play within the flow of the offense, but... Also, the edge he has on Golden State, how important he was to the Cavaliers. We're seeing like everything just come together perfectly on the trade this week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest reason why Danny Ainge went out and got himself a Kyrie Irving, because he knew that in times like this, if you want to eventually compete with the Warriors and potentially win a series like that, you need a guy who has a track record of going out against the best defenses and tearing them up. And, I mean, Kyrie, this game was out of his mind. I mean, if you don't count that half-court heave, he only missed two shots in the second half. He almost hit that half-court heave. He almost hit that one. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was it was one of those out of body experiences where it was like the Warriors basically and it and it wasn't like they played him soft and then as the game progressed they started they started playing oh, hard. Yeah. They came in from the game from the jump knowing that they had to completely shut him out and he was lights out the entire game. So I mean it's very encouraging to see us perform that way, especially knowing that we weren't even fully armed and the fact that like we know we have a guy that when we can't run our offense, when things aren't going well, there's always an offensive option when you have Kyrie Irving. And once again, we see what's happening in Cleveland, and Mark Jackson had me thinking tonight. Great calls from Mark Jackson tonight, by the way, on the officiating, on everything else. He was great tonight, but he said one thing that made me think, and this is a thought I've had going way back. We've talked about this switch with Cleveland last year, this year, and he says during the flow of this game, Maybe Cleveland, the way they play lackadaisically through the regular season, they're able to get away with it because they have great players. But when it comes to Golden State, we saw in the finals last year, they just got smoked. They had a good game three, a good game four, but the rest of the series, they were blown off the court. Celtics, meanwhile, it's only the regular season. I'll, I'll concede that. But they always play this Warriors team tough. And Jackson says, you know, the Warriors on one hand are taking every day uh, playing the right way, going into every day with the right mindset, Cavaliers taking days off. So on one hand, that stuck out to me. But then I think, how big of a part was Kyrie Irving to flipping that switch? Because they can't seem to do it this year. And meanwhile, the Celtics are having nights where Irving's backing off, but then nights like this where he's all in. And that seems to bring the Celtics up to a new level. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think... You brought up a really good point about Cleveland that I want to talk about because it, it really makes me mad when people just say it's just January, they can turn on the switch. This team has eight new players from last year. Last year, they were coming off a 3-1 to one finals win. Um, they were chilling because they just won the championship. And then when the playoffs started, they restarted again. That That is not this year's team. This Cleveland team is older. They're relying on a point guard who's, who hasn't played basketball in seven months. They're playing Jay Crowder in a way that, you know, Stevens wasn't using him. I don't know what anyone else was expecting. This is not this, this, the same Cleveland team that can turn it on and off. And I think you brought up a good point when it came to Kyrie Irving because Kyrie was someone that, as we've seen today, when the offense is not going well, when maybe no one else is scoring, like Tatum today had another bad game. Yeah, um, we'll get to that. Yeah, no smart. There's Kyrie Irving there just playing balls out. And you see last year Cleveland won a lot of close games like that where they were going back and forth to like an inferior opponent, but then they ended up winning at the end of the day because they had closes like Kyrie. So I do think it's part of that, not having Kyrie, and then also just – their new reliance on, you know, age now. That doesn't wear, wear off well during the season. And there's just so much more conflict there this year. Real or not, it seems like every day there's a new drop out of there, including that Isaiah Thomas interview that I'm sure we'll get to uh, in another show. But tonight, trying to keep it fixed on this Warriors game, how the Celtics are playing right now. One in four over their last five. So, you know, let's not go waving the flag, acting like everything's good, even though they fought hard tonight. There's some struggles going on that they have to deal with, but definitely a major offensive turnaround tonight. The reason it didn't turn into a win for the Celtics, another win, they were 2-1 over the last uh, three years in Oracle Arena. 
best record in the league against uh, the Warriors in that sense. Steph Curry was phenomenal tonight, and I, th I someone was saying on the Twitter line, I think it was Andrew, that we're not used to seeing Curry play like this against the Celtics. Back in November, of course, when the Celtics beat them, he was a no-show. Tonight, that felt more like Kevin Durant was off turning the ball over, missing key shots, even getting beat defensively, which was weird to see, but Curry had it all. It was a throwback to that 15-16 era where you had to watch the Warriors every single night because this guy was doing things you'd never seen before. Hitting shots from the moon, taking games over even when everyone was attacking him and re really just leading the Warriors to victory. I feel like we haven't seen enough of that since Kevin Durant got there. Part of the reason I think Durant is you know, watering down the league. Tonight though, Curry was able to pull this game right in for the Golden State Warriors and just completely take hold of it. He was sneaking away off ball. He was hitting those monster threes way behind the line that we're used to from him. My big question, and someone posed this to me tonight, is even though Marcus Smart, we haven't really thought a lot about him missing the last two nights because the Celtics have played well offensively, but does Curry do that tonight if Smart's playing? On one end, you want to say no. That's like your, your knee-jerk reaction is no because it's Marcus Smart. But then that is a two-time MVP, and if he, you know starts feeling hot in the first quarter and he keeps going like he's played some of the best defenders in the league and he's ha he's had games like that yeah i do think it's fair to think all right maybe to this extent he wouldn't have gone off maybe instead of 45 or like 49 however much he had he would have maybe had you know maybe 37 38 and that would have been a big difference tonight um so i definitely think marcus smart would have definitely helped he's someone that can get over screens a little bit better than a guy like Rosier or Larkin. Mm -hmm. um, he's someone that can get into the chest of Curry, uh, make him uncomfortable at 6'4", 220. So I think he would have been someone that could have helped contain, but I don't think anyone was stopping Steph Curry tonight. He was a man on a mission. Yeah, it's, it's tough because with Smart's defense and he's having the best career box plus minus defensive season we've seen from him yet, you also have like the 10 to 14 shots a night where like half of them are just complete like what, what is he doing and you didn't have that tonight that's an ease on the offense it's, it's an interesting conversation right now with smart because as much as you look at these offensive game and say who no no smart shots tonight he's he's able to play off the ball defensively real well fighting across screens like you said as well too there was one play deep in the game where i think he would have been perfect and Curry was switching on the Morris. Smart's tougher to switch off of. That's really the key to his defense is that you can't switch on to those big men you want to see in those moments. Curry got the free throws in a weird moment where one ref called it out of bounds, one ref called it a foul from the far end, and that really ended up being a pivotal moment down the stretch of this game that I decided it because, like Mark Jackson said, if they went to replay on the out of bounds, it would have been out on Curry. Very smart call from him right there. I love Jackson's game tonight. They miss Smart right now. In some ways. What do you think of this whole Terry Roger smart dynamic? Because as we know, Roger has been playing phenomenal. Um, yes, I mean, definitely there is a little kind of like back and forth where I think Terry Roger is one of those weird players where he plays better based on the amount of opportunity he gets. And when he's not playing with smart, he gets to be more of a ball handler and gets to have the ball more in his hands. Um, tonight was definitely, you know, a rough night because... You are going against the Warriors, who have, who run some of maybe like the best stuff in the league because it's so intuitive versus like set plays, and then you're chasing around Steph Curry, you're being defended by guys like Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green. Yeah. So 
that's that's hard for a second unit player. So I'm I'm sure his plus I think he was like a minus 19 tonight. He was part of that first second unit that got hit with a 10-0 run yeah. to start the second quarter. So it was rough, but I think long term when you keep looking back and forth, we know Rozier is showing now a propensity to hit big shots. Like we've seen that at the end of this game, um, we we see him starting to be able to finish a little bit better. Kyrie has kind of taken him under his wing a little bit in that regard and has been trying to help him work on his finishes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think he's more of like an Avery Bradley defender where it's he's going to be he's going to try to be as quick as you but not necessarily be able to bully you. Um, I think he can grow into that. It's a it's a big question, but I think right now Smart is the one who's been playoff tested. He's the one that is in a contract year, knows the stuff, probably has some of the best vision on the team, and I think. In big games, he's usually a guy who makes the right decision most of the time. And I think in a game like this, instead of seeing, you know, like the 15-shot Marcus Smart like we saw in Dallas or something like that, you probably would have seen, you know, maybe like a 7-8 shot night. He would have hit some nice passes. Maybe he hits those, like, threes that everyone's like, what the hell? And he probably could have been good. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a difficult decision because they're two players that are promising in two very different ways. But I think uh, if you're... Just talking right now about the contracts, I, th- I still think, you know, Smart's the more valuable guy. I, I lean Roger. I think the offense for, you get from Roger is key on a team that struggles on offense. Maybe that'll change when Gordon Hayward comes back. That's a big factor in that department, too. But this year, just this year particularly, I think Roger has had a greater impact on the team. He's been there more consistently. We have that whole glass incident with Smart that we're hopefully going to learn more about in the uh, coming week or so. It's tough. It's a tough conversation because as easy as it is to see what Roger does that impacts the game, we see the big three that almost won the game for the Celtics tonight or gave them a chance to win. Smart does those little things throughout the play, the game that you forget about, and they pile up to possession after possession one that maybe do draw you two, three points closer by the end of the night. He's just, he's not the easiest player to gauge, as we all know, and uh, hopefully he'll be back soon impacting this team because it's nice to have them both for now. That's the way it is this season in particular. I also want to talk tonight about Shane Larkin, the lineups tonight. We saw a lot of semi Roger, small ball Morris. What do you think of the rotations tonight? I thought Stevens got a little experimental even in a big game. We saw some uh, Tice center minutes in a small ball lineup as well, kind of playing that Horford role. It seems like he's starting to trust Tice more, Brad Stevens that is. Were there any lineups that stuck out to you tonight that look good that you think deserve some more run going forward? I did like the decision to start the game with Baines instead yeah. of starting it small. Like I, I did like uh, giving out Horford a chance to kind of just like focus on Draymond and go with Monos Mono and not have to fight with Zaza to start the game. Um, I did think, though, to start the second half, he should have switched it and then went small and tried to, like, hit them with, like, a little change of pace. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I thought the lineups, I kind of thought the lineups were what they were. Like, he had to play as many guys as possible because he needed to he needed to make sure that he was keeping Kyrie rested, he was keeping Al rested. Without Smart, sometimes you have to rely on maybe more than, more than one guy than you might have expected. So that's probably why we saw some of the Shane Larkin. Stevens is a big fan of the three-guard lineups. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I think that was another reason why we saw more Shane Larkin than maybe you were expecting. And also, it's good kind of to get Kyrie off the ball because that's another way that it's easier for him to score. If he's always on the ball all the time, it's easier to trap, it's easier to swarm him. So sometimes just having another guy who can bring the ball up, run the offense, helps. So his lineups were kind of what I expected. I was surprised to see Tice out there. He did have some 
a little bit of suspect moments. He hit a nice three during like the fourths when you know that was a good quarter for us. But mm-hmm. overall, they use it as much as they can, except for you know like Shemi only came in for maybe like one stint. Uh, Nader and Eddie didn't play, but for the most part, he used everyone. Like I, I kind of figured he would. Um, I did, I did, I did like the starting with Beans, though. I did appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot, too. I think it's underrated how good that lineup is. If you dive into the best lineups on this team, great net rating with Baines on the floor with that starting group. Of course, they're playing limited minutes with those guys, but it can be effective in spurts before they do go small. Uh, we're starting to see Morris now quite a bit since that London trip. He's been healthy, seemingly, playing over 20 minutes a game consistently. And playing well, I think. He's not efficient. He's, he's not going to blow you away with shooting numbers. But when you watch this guy, and it, it, it's kind of nice because we're so used to this, Alex, where got, everyone's going to pass up the shot for the better shot. He's the complete opposite. He, he's going to go right at his man and take it no matter what angle he's at, no matter where he is on the floor. And for the shots he takes, for the number of shots he takes, I like what we get out of him. Tonight he was going at Durant even for a number of possessions and giving him trouble. The defense is a different question because I feel like they do lose a little bit of defense when they go small this season. But what has been your impression of Morris and his small ball lineup? Because that really is the small ball lineup on this team, that Morris lineup. Yeah, so for starters, I think he deserves a little bit of a shout-out today because Durant had a really tough game tonight offensively. And, he and defensively. Did get, yep, and, and and he was on that assignment. Um, he did a pretty good job switching across different positions from at least one to four. And that's kind of the thing. The thing with Marcus Morris is that people do get caught up in where he's shooting his shots and stuff. But I think what I like about him is what you alluded to is that he knows who he is. He knows he's on the court to shoot, to mm-hmm. score, to give the team offensive lift. That's exactly what he's been doing, and he does it at a high level. And, you know, since December, the team has actually performed better when he's on the court, and that's that's not a mistake because this team has so many defenders, so many guys who are just trying to always move the ball and make the right play, and you need guys in your lineup who can just go out there and get you a bucket. And now we're seeing as Marcus Morris gets more healthy, he was even a force on the rebounds this, this evening. I think he had eight boards. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he, he, he defends at a pretty good level. He can get you buckets, and he's a force on the boards. And, you know, for what he is on that contract and in that limited role we want him in the second unit, he does maximize his value. It's funny because he's kind of what Cleveland is probably expecting yeah. from Jay Crowder. And he's giving it to us now at a pretty high level. Yeah, offensively, I think he has definitely uh, surpassed Jay Crowder in that role. I'm loving what I'm seeing on the offensive end, really, from him. It's just so different. Maybe it's just a visual thing for me that we're seeing just someone play so different from how most people play in the system. I'm interested to see the defensive numbers, though. Maybe that's an article we can keep an eye on because... uh, the team is really leaning on its defense this year, and I do feel like they take a dip just visually when he's out there. Some of those Warriors runs tonight uh, seem to happen when those smaller lineups are on the floor. It's not all about him. I just kind of gauge the small ball lineup as that all-important Stevens lineup, and he is, of course, a big uh, crux in that being probably the only steady force they can put in at that four on the team. We have some questions tonight, of course. We learned a lot out of this game. A lot of people coming up on Twitter want to ask us questions, which is great. This is a community Celtics blog podcast, so we're going to run through these questions real quick before we get out of here. Uh, first one is from Spose. Can Terry Rozier be an all-star off the bench? 
playing for the Celtics? Or will he have to wait till another team picks him up eventually to become an all-star player? I think an important question there, too, Alex, is whether you think Rozier has all-star potential in him. Um, yeah, that's definitely an interesting question. And, I mean, he definitely has the type of uh, game style where you could see him being someone that could be like a microwave scorer that can come off the bench. But he also is a defensive player, which maybe gives you a chance that maybe he can be a two-way guy, someone who can see the all-star game like Will was trying to this year. Yeah. Ultimately, based off what we've seen right now, and granted, he's very young, so this can change. But based on his role right now, I, do, I don't see all-star in his future unless he's on a different team that's willing to give him the big 30-plus minutes a game and kind of run their offense through him. But just as right now where he is in Boston, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see all-star potential there. Yeah, definitely not in Boston. The, the all-star marks high nowadays. We see some of how many snubs there are among Paul Georges, who's obviously in now, but Lou Williams as well. It got, great players are left off this team every single year. So the bar is getting bigger every single year. The East is definitely where you want to be if you do want to slide in, though. So if he can go to a different team in the East eventually, he may have that shot. Next question. Thanks, Busy Spose, giving us a question to lead this off. How do the Celtics improve their offense during the trade deadline? And I've talked about this quite a bit on the post-game show. I'm a proponent of letting the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those type players figure it out, allow them to maintain their opportunity on this team. Some other people want to see the Celtics pick up a player with that designated uh, disabled player exception by the trade deadline. Which uh, There's an in-between factor there, of course, but what do you think uh, is going to help improve this offense from bottom half of the league? So I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think I have a really, really good theory with this. So I think Danny Ainge should go to the TB12 Center. Here we go. Call up Alex Guerrero. Get Alex Guerrero to come work for the Celtics and work with Gordon Hayward. Help him perform some type of miracle drug. Get him back by the (laughs) beginning of March. That's my theory. It's so easy to say, Hayward, I'm not going to let you cop out. What are we going to do this year if we say right now Hayward's done? Okay. Um, okay. Let's listen so, to Brad Stevens and Ains because they want that DPE. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if we're looking at the DPE, the, some of the options we've heard, I don't, I don't think Lou Will's an option anymore. I think no the, way. I, I think Clippers want to hold on to him, and I don't really know how he fits with all the guards we have. And he's um, expensive now. Good Lord, would they have to give up a lot to get him. Yeah. So, I mean, there's guys. There's a Tyreek Evans who, you know, has kind of, he kind of reminds me of, like, an Evan Turner who can shoot threes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... Some of the young guys, there's a Julius Randle who just had a really good game against Boston. Um, I'm personally a fan, but I don't necessarily know if that gets us over the hump. I'm not sure if there's the guy that maybe, like, makes your team complete or or gives you, like, maybe, what, 70% of what Hayward might have given you. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a position where it's, like, no one's going to get you over the hump, why take away those minutes from those young guys? So. It wouldn't surprise me if they didn't make any moves. I mean, that could always change if maybe like a shooter gets bought out or something like that, like a Ersan, Ilyasova, Arco Bellinelli. If someone like that gets bought out, we get them. I could see that. But I don't think they're going to be going out of their way to try to make any big moves. They're going to take too many minutes away from some of their young guys who, you know, for, for example, a guy like Smart, they're still trying to figure out if they're going to pay or not. So Yeah, a lot of the options you said are in the uh... – won the three area, which is dangerous because you do have a lot of young players and steady roles right now in those areas. 
Tatum has been struggling recently, so I think that is a big reason for the call for this offense right now. And uh, that was another question of ours tonight. We're seeing Tatum hit the rookie wall at this point. We're about four games into his slump at this point. Again tonight, same story. Uh, missing layups we used to seeing him make at the rim, not hitting threes at as high of a rate, and just looking more uncomfortable out there on the court in general with the body language and stuff. Having a tough time through these struggles, it seems like, just looking at him. So B asked us, how can we help make Tatum feel more comfortable? How are we going to give him the uh, easing he needs after his great start and through four games a big struggle since? Is it letting him uh, shoot it out? Does he need a night of rest? What's it going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think this is expected. Like, he was he was going to hit this rookie wall eventually. Um, I'm pretty sure right now this is probably the most basketball he's ever played ever in one season for a team. Yeah. So I already. think, yeah, so I mean, I think what he's probably going to want to do is just try to make it to the All-Star break, man. Make it to the All-Star break, get your rest there, and then try to come back more refreshed and rejuvenate to start the season again. Because technically you could maybe start Marcus Morris over him and bring him off the second unit. But, yeah. but Tatum is one of those guys where I think you want him playing with your best players to limit his responsibility and his role. So I think right now, I mean, it's not like he's shooting any less the open shots. It's still the last time I checked, which was before the Warriors game, 93% of his uh, three-pointers are still considered open or wide open. So mm -hmm. it's not like teams are adjusting or is anything crazy. He's really just, you know, missing the same shots that he was getting at the beginning of the year. So I think that's a sign of tired legs. That's a sign of a young guy who's hitting the rookie wall. And... It happens, man. So I, I think I think it's just getting to the All Star break and then letting your body rest a little bit. Looking at the that All Star break's a while away, and uh, it's not an easy road to that point. Nuggets up next, of course. That is a team that gives the Celtics fits routinely. Um, Wizards, Raptors, Cavaliers, Clippers, all before that point. It's not going to be an easy road out, but I, I, I agree with you. Keep him in the starting lineup. We've seen him in bench roles, layering these lineups, have a tough time asserting himself with those units. So I think there's visual evidence that that wouldn't be the best move. And that's the reason I really don't want to add a significant piece either. Ilyasova, Mirza Toledovic, those are the kind of guys I'd like to see because you can slide those guys in and out as you want to use them. Uh, Nevins, uh, Williams, like th those are guys who are going to be like steady 20, 30 minute a night guys in the lineup, and that's going to inherently take shots, minutes away from young guys who need it this season. This season, as well as it's gone, still about getting Brown and Tatum to that point, as I think we can all agree where they need to be for this team when Hayward comes back next year and uh, everything else comes in the, full, the uh, right place, hopefully, for this team. <laughs> Someone asked, how many bottles of wine did LeBron drink tonight watching Kyrie? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had the white Moscato, the red Moscato. Uh, <laughs> big wine guy. Yeah, big wine guy. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he drank a little bit. And, I mean, that must be rough for him to just watch what he just threw away in such a, in such a great player in Kyrie Irving. But, you know. You don't want to change for someone. They're going to go shine somewhere else. <laughs> Good last question right here. This one, we haven't covered this a lot at the site on here on the podcast. It, it even shocked me when someone brought it up on the postgame show the other night. The free throw discrepancy is massive over this last five-game stretch. Even on the season, Celtics are bottom half of the league in free throw shooting, or attempts, rather. 
They're not getting a lot of trips to the line this year, and that's been a trend with this team in particular. Isaiah Thomas, of course, was fantastic at that. Those teams were pretty good at getting to the line. This team, not so much. Is that a uh, systematic thing? Is it the players? How can they do better in that area? That's, that's a big offensive category. Yeah, and I think you answered it in the question. It was Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas got to the line at the rate of like a mini Harden. Yeah. And I mean, even if you look last year, it wasn't like anyone else was getting to the line at a high rate. It was really just Isaiah getting there at a substantially higher <laughs> yeah. rate. Than he was doing the whole team's work. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Kyrie, is, Kyrie is not that type of finisher where he's out there seeking contact and falling to the ground and like getting thrown everywhere. He's going to try to finish with finesse. He's going to try to avoid contact and get, and get the land. So he doesn't get as many calls as there is. And then outside of that, um, Jalen Brown has been a little bit better. Smart hasn't. Smart's not someone who really finishes well at the rim to begin with. Al Horford has never been someone that gets the line a lot. So I think it's 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 mostly personnel. And I mean, I know sometimes it appears like maybe there's like a discrepancy in calls, but really it is like what's your shot profile? Who actually can get to the line? And for the most part, the Celtics team just doesn't have guys who are consistently known for being able to get so on a, on a consistent basis. So I think that's mostly what it is. And, and Irving just blows by guys. They don't even have the chance to follow him on his way to the rim. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good point. Not a lot of downhill drivers on this team, especially in that front court. Maybe that's an area they can try to address at the uh, trade deadline through a pickup or something, a guy who gets to the line at a little higher rate than what they have right now. Tatum... Maybe he's another guy who can try to get more attempts because I think Brown does a very good job at getting to the line at a consistent base, and Tatum does have the ability to drive, as we know. Maybe less up fakes out with that three-point line and just heading right to the rim off uh, catches, runners, stuff like that. There's, there's probably ways they can get a few more free throws per game. That's all the questions we have for tonight. Uh, we, I guess people don't like the voicemail. Twitter's the way to go when it comes to questions, so thanks to everybody who asked those tonight. We learned a lot out of this game, out of this last week as a whole. It's been useful for us over at the site so go check out celticsblog.com uh, subscribe to the banners broadcast on itunes stitcher it's on the clns media app so if you like this go get it go subscribe go leave a review it's the best way you can thank us for our good work here our uh, very pleasing podcast alex kungu bobby manning also, one thing I want to say before I left, did not know Shane Larkin was Barry Larkin's son. That uh, blew me away tonight when I heard that, but it makes a lot of sense. So there's what I learned. That's my big lesson of the night. Thanks for being here with us, Alex. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you next week, guys. Not sure who's going to be on the podcast. Perhaps we'll get a special guest, but you can always count on the Celtics blog staff here being with us. I'm Bobby Manning. Good night, everyone. you this is this is our way yes loud Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing the 3 and D roll go oh, it's a D league if I had uh, Antoine Walker's body I'd be an all-star <laughs>